How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Listen, because it's the two that really make the meter move, I'm going to give them the opportunity to tell you what we have in store in the way of a great gift. The stars of the show, Doug and Jess, in a moment. But let me remind you, they would love to hear from you today, especially for those last-minute gift ideas for the gardener in your life. Or maybe yourself, you can give yourself a nice gift this holiday season. Give us a call at 866-391-1020. Here they are with some exciting news to begin the show. Doug Oster, EverybodyGardens.com, and Jessica Walliser. Good morning. I am Doug Oster from Everybody Gardens and the Tribune Review. And I'm horticulturist Jessica Walliser. And you could win $100 from Sargles. Did you know that? Today's today's a $100 day. Oh. Who do they have to call, Rob? That's right. 412 922 1020. You thought you were going to get out of it. Give the number again, please. I 412. Because I, you know, I just the way my luck is, I would screw it up, okay? 412 922 1020. Tenth caller wins that amazing. And thank you to yes. Randy and everybody at Source. Thank you, Randy. $100. So start. Can, can start I, can I step out of the office for a minute here? <laughs> Let's get on my your cell phone. phone. Yeah. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? That's all right. Well, welcome to winter. Yeah, right? But the days are getting longer. I see everybody celebrating the winter solstice. I've been seeing things on social media about it, and I think they're mostly celebrating the fact that the days are going to start to get longer. Thank goodness. Which we could all use. That's exciting it already. It is exciting. And, That's you know, good. the seed catalogs are rolling in, mm-hmm. and I'm starting to, you know, get a little itch for spring when the days start getting a little bit longer. Well, it's going to be nice. It's going to be in the 50s. I actually have uh, 300 bulbs to plant. <laughs> I went to the nursery. I went to Han, and I was just like, "What's left?" She's like, "Man, I got some big bags. I'll give them to you cheap." I'm like, "All right." I gave everybody their warning. Is that what you're doing today? Then planting bulbs today? I don't know about today, but okay, one of these <laughs> one days. One of these days coming the up where it's freezes. nice. Yeah. It's funny when you know. I lived at this house for 21 years, and I was just you know walking the dogs, and I just kind of looked down at this hillside, and I'm like. That would be the perfect place for bulbs. Why didn't I ever think about planting there? And I was like, ah, that's where I'm going to put them. So I got a spot for them and a bunch of cool daffodils. Trying to cut a deal for some crocuses somewhere, too. So we'll see. Oh, my God. Well, you're going to be surrounded in blooms, and I think it'll oh, be lovely. I just can't and wait for the spring. I'm it, sure you'll do a video of it, so we uh, all will get to see the results. Uh, yeah, i got to do a video of everything I do. Yeah. I, I don't do anything without but it doing does a help, video. You, it probably helps you really get stuff done in the garden, oh, right? If you know that you're going to have to shoot a video on it, then it sort of inspires you to, to do Especially new this things. this time of the year. Like, what are you going to yeah. do a video on? <laughs> the last right. one I did was amaryllis paper whites microgreens and testing your seeds to all see in it. the same one you can't yeah, make yeah. Like, like microgreens a whole one yeah or amaryllis that's like a four whole minutes one. that's like a four minute video yeah yeah i just did it that you way you just do it yeah. put it all together put it all together right. then one of those things when you tease it they're like oh microgreens maybe i'll watch it yeah or oh amaryllis maybe i'll watch it or oh test my seeds maybe i'll watch it eh, maybe i won't i'm gonna go back to sleep <laughs> Well, one of the things that I was excited to see, um, I got the Young Seeds yesterday, the catalog, and it's sort of like a big 
catalog that is paper. It's not like that glossy, shiny one like the Burpee C catalog and stuff. But it, it always makes me curious because they always have sort of their new releases out on the front cover. And I was very excited to see one of my favorite fruits on the front cover that is practically unheard of here in North America. I think it's just starting to gain some traction. And the fact it was on the cover of that C catalog says a lot. And it's called a honeyberry. Have you tried honeyberries? I don't know what a honeyberry oh, is. Oh my goodness. They are amazing. So it's um, originated in like Russia and Siberia. So it's extremely cold tolerant fruit. It flowers like in late winter and the fruit set is weeks before blueberries. And they look a little bit, they're the color of a blueberry, but they're elongated. And they have these yellow flowers that come out on the on bare branches. And the flowers look almost a little witch hazily, like a witch hazel, hazel flower, like real spindly like that. And they, they bloom real early. And then you get this fruit set that starts like in May. And it, these berries are so sweet and they're so delicious. And I got two of the plants years ago when we moved into our house. And um, they started fruiting right away. You need a male and a female because the plants do are... The deer eat them? The deer do not touch them. Wow. And they're deciduous. They lose all their leaves like the blueberries do. They lose all their leaves in the in the wintertime. Um, and you need a male and a female because the plant is either male or female, like a holly, right? And to get the berry set. Well, so I had these two. And the first few years, I had good fruit set on them, even though the plants were small. And then the male plant died. Mm. So I have this female plant that's probably about three three feet tall. Like it's a big bush. And I need to get a male plant now. But I can't remember what variety the female was because you need to get like a compatible variety. The pollen has the to timing. be compatible. Oh, no. They it's not to, the timing of the bloom? Well, and that too. They have to be, be in bloom at the same time. So I have to figure out if I can find my old invoice for that. But, but I would encourage you if you're looking for a fruit to grow that has like no pests it's deer tolerant. It produces early. It's really flavorful. I would encourage you to plant some honeyberries. Do you have a plant that you like as far as winter interest, like maybe exfoliating bark or a color or something uh, during the winter? Because I love the exfoliating bark. I love paper bark maples, and heptacodium is one of my favorites mm -hmm. for the winter. My Dawn Redwood mm -hmm. is got great bark. Is there anything that you have in your garden that you like for winter interest? Uh, Stewardias. Yeah. I love the peeling yeah. bark of Stewardias. And you know what is one of my favorites, which is right off the back patio? We have a Virginia magnolia, which is our native magnolia. Um, and the reason we put it there is because it handles really wet soils, and that's pretty low-lying, and it tends to stay really wet there in the spring. I tried some other shrub or other trees there that didn't survive because it was too waterlogged, but the Virginia magnolia is beautiful and it's it's uh what's considered to be semi evergreen but it still has all its leaves mm. and they're green on the top and like a silvery white on the bottom it's a multi-stemmed tree ours is probably maybe 15 18 feet tall now and it gets these amazing white they're a magnolia flower they're white and they smell in the evening the variety i wow. have is called moon glow and it's Open, they open, they're open all day, but they release their fragrance in the evening. And it blooms reliably because it's a native, right? Absolutely. It's not like the ones that get frosted. Yep, tough as nails. I did have a little bit of trouble in the wintertime because it's one of the few things that still has leaves in the winter with the deer nibbling the, the lower leaves. So we do kind of surround it with a little fence uh, in the wintertime just to keep the deer away from it. Well, I talked to our outdoors writer, Bob Fry, because I, I wondered when can I take the protection off my smaller trees 
as far as rubbing, as far mm-hmm. as not the deer eating it, but the bucks rubbing it. And he said, it's time. Okay. He said, the rut's over. They'll start losing their antlers here in a week or so. So they're not rubbing anymore. So I've got like a Coosa dogwood and a Stuartia. That's what made me think of it. I have a Stuartia that has the, you know, like a drainage, plastic drainage pipe around it that stopped them from uh, from the bucks from rubbing. So yeah. And you don't want to leave that on year no, round because no. you can get some pests and things in there. So. It's good. That's very good to know. Congratulations to Carolyn Gibsonia, winner of that $100 holiday gift card from the good folks at Sorgles. We'd love to hear from you. All of our lines are open. Doug and Jess are ready to go to the phones right after a short commercial message. 866-391-1020. All right, we're ready to go to the phone. So let's uh, start off by saying hello to Marianne. Marianne, how are you? Welcome to the Organic Gardeners. Good morning. Hi, how are you? We're doing good, but when I saw you up there on the board, I realized I didn't send you your uh, DVD. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I think it's amazing that you still have it, so, uh, you know, that you hung on to it, so that's that's fine. He was just going, where did I put her address? Where yeah, did, where I, put did her I put address? her address? He's got it somewhere. <laughs> okay. Before we get going, tell him what that film is that, that you loaned me. Oh, well, it's... It's a classic. It's from the 1990s, and it won, I think, awards at Sundance or something. But it's called My Father's Garden. And Doug was so generous. Years ago, um, friends and I put on a program at Boscov's in Butler at the mall. And we showed the film and um, had different organic farmers speak afterwards. And uh, Doug mentioned it on the program. But it's a, a beautiful film about the filmmaker's father, who was an orange grove. He had orange groves in Florida. And she's just thinking back to her childhood and the way her dad farmed with chemicals. And then she compares it to Fred Kirschman, who transitioned, I think it was, was it 3,000 acres, Doug, to yeah. organic. And this was way back before anyone was doing it. So she just kind of goes back and forth between the two different kinds of farming, you know, conventional and organic, and compares and contrasts and gives a history of, you know, chemicals and... Yeah, it's interesting know. because uh, the uh, the filmmaker's father, he, he didn't know that he was putting himself at risk. It was when it first... It's just what you did. Yeah, when then. it first came yeah, out, right. it, you know, that first... You know, we always talk about those first couple of years in Florida, it was like... Wow, no bugs. This is amazing. And there, there's actually footage in there of him, like, with a giant hose, no protection. And, oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing mm-hmm. film. So uh, what was your question today? Oh, okay. My radio reception's not coming in very well. And, Jess, I couldn't hear where you got your honeyberries. Yeah, so uh, the honeyberry, and I'm glad that you called about this, actually, because I should have clarified when we were talking in the first segment about honeyberries that the ones that I saw for sale and that I bought are plants. You're not buying them and planting them from seed. Right. You're buying the plant, right. So uh-huh. uh, I, the, the ones I saw were in the Young Seeds, J-U-N-G, Seeds Catalog. Oh. But which I just got, came out. Which just came out. I actually got my plants years ago from Rain Tree Nursery. Oh, okay. I've heard of them. Yeah, uh-huh. rain trees. It's um, and there might be some local places that have them as well. So because again, uh-huh. they're just starting to sort of pick up steam here, and people are really just starting to recognize them. So I would also check with your favorite local nursery and see if they either can get them or they might already have them in stock. Okay, and you eat these raw like blueberries? Oh yeah. Yep. Oh. Right off the plant. Yep. Oh boy, cool. when you asked that, Jessica's. Eyes lit up, and she was smiling. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They are so good. And if nobody has, if like, it's one of those things that, you know, you think you know all the fruits or you think you know all the vegetables, right? And then you 
find something like this and it just I often think that with our friend Nikki Jabour who lives in Nova Scotia and she grows all these global vegetables you know we think when we go into the grocery store that we have a huge selection but wow. we really don't when you think about all these varieties that you know, exist out there. There's a lot of cool stuff out there to grow. Yeah I can't wait to see if honeyberries someday make their way onto the shelves of grocery stores. Well, it's such a short will. period of time that they're ripe for oh, so okay. that's you know they really are you know, they don't have a long, long season, but there's different varieties that mature at different, you know, a week earlier or a week later, just kind of like you can do with blueberries as well. Uh-huh. So if you see that and you get a, have room for a couple of plants, you, have, you know, choose a male and female of varieties that are compatible, but then try to choose a couple different types that mature, you know, a few weeks apart. Okay, I know. I think Miller's catalog nursery used to have them. I used to circle things. I'd go through the catalog, circling things I wanted. To they've uh, they've combined with Stark now, and so yeah, I'd, I knew they had probably find that they're. I'm sure Stark yeah. has them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just quickly, the, the beetle banks or the beetle bump. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Could, could you tell me some plants you could, if you had a little space in your garden, to make like a beetle bump? What plant? Sure. So we've we've talked about this on the show before, and I've written about it a lot. And it is, um, it's literally a bump or a raised berm that's built somewhere in the garden, usually really close to the vegetable garden or in it, and it's planted with native bunch grasses. So these are native grasses that grow in clumps. And what it is, is it becomes a habitat for predaceous ground beetles. And ground beetles go out to the garden. They're beneficial insects. They go out into the garden at night and they scour your plants for pests. They eat everything from cabbage worms and slugs and snails to asparagus beetle larvae to Mexican bean beetle larvae. And so it's creating a habitat for how, these how beneficials. Big? How big? Well, I mean, if you're a farm, you want to do a whole big long row, right? Every couple of rows of crops. But in a backyard garden, I would say if you probably go... Uh, so if you're going to do a beetle bump and do like a, a circle, I would say probably uh, maybe five feet wide, four feet wide, and then mound it up. It should be mounded up like about 12 inches up above the ground level so that it's because ground beetles, they like to sort of go upwards to take shelter during the day uh-huh. where it's dry. And then they come down and go into your crops at night because they feed nocturnally. You're planting it with what? Native bunch grasses. So these would be things like switchgrass, any of the panicums, any of our native uh, buffalo grass, right, that, that are native to, um, I'd say, probably pretty much anywhere in the in the United States. And they grow in a clump. So they don't spread through runners. They, they're in a clump. So any of those ornamental grasses basically at the garden center that are native you could choose okay. to plant in that beetle bump. Could you use like little blue stem? I yes. See yeah. Like it just in the yard. Yep. Yep. Stuff. Yep. Blue, little blue stem. Uh, side oats. Grandma would be another one. Um, I'll think of some more. But yes, there's a lot. And so you can, if you if if you Google beetle bump and then my name, you'll find uh-huh. probably a couple articles that I've written about it that have actual plant lists in them. Okay. And that okay. will help as well. Do you well. put anything else in there or just the grasses? Just the grasses. And then okay. you, you only mow them down once. And you would want to and you would want to just, you know, hand mow them, like use a lopper to cut them down uh-huh. um, if you want to do it at all. Some people just let them, you know, like they would in the prairie. They would just naturally die. But if you feel like you need to have it a little more well-tended, you can do that with a, a pair of loppers. You can cut it down in the very early spring down uh-huh. to like six or eight inches tall. 
Oh, great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good luck. Let me know how it works out. They're really cool. I've seen them in home settings and then in farm settings as Sounds well. Sounds kind of funny. Search my name in Beetle Bump and something will come up. <laughs> <laughs> I've written about them a number of times. I interviewed this um, Gwendolyn Ellen, who's a professor at uh, Oregon State University. And this is where, because they have such a huge slug and snail problem in the Pacific Northwest, they've been doing a lot of research about beetle bumps there and how ground beetles can uh, can help farmers and homeowners control those pests. All right, coming up, Mom, more of your phone calls and that gift certificate uh, from Janoski. We've got two more full segments with Doug and Jess. If you'd like to join the festivities today, you can join us because we have some lines available at 866-391-1020. First day of Hanukkah, great holiday, of course. Uh, we've got that and also Christmas celebration, recipes, traditions, and more coming up with uh, Joe and Frank Dentisi. He'll be here today on the Coons Cooking Hour and then Heffron Tillotson your money and you and then we wrap up our day with the coons market black and gold sunday show at 11 a.m melinda coming up in two minutes with your news at 7 30 uh yes they are and right now if you're the 10th caller at 412-922-1020 you're going to win an amazing 25 dollars gift certificate from janoski's looking for the 10th caller 412-922-1020 let's say hi to alex up next for doug and jess hey alex hey good morning I've heard uh, Jess refer to uh, red buds as dead buds. Mm-hmm. I have one that's about 15 years old, and it's eh, every year it loses a limb. I'm thinking I'm going to take it out after it blossoms this year. I guess two questions. What causes that? And second, is a flowering dogwood a good tree that's going to not have these problems? Okay, so mm. yes, I do call red buds dead buds because... I can't believe he knows that because we haven't said that that often. I like to tease you about that. But whenever I talk about red buds anywhere in the area, I always say my radio partner, Jessica, calls them dead buds. Yeah, and it's a shame because they are such lovely, incredible trees. I still recommend that people plant them, but they're killed, also I one killed, that... I killed one. <laughs> it'll break, they'll break your heart because they'll be in their glory. And then this is exactly what happens, Alex. One limb at a time, they die back. There is, a, like, some fungal issues they can get, a canker. There's some wilts they can get. But it also is just the nature of this tree. This is just a short-lived tree compared to, you know, an oak or a maple or something like that. I'm so, thinking of, like, a country-western song, One Limb at a Time. One Limb at a Time. One Limb But they also time. sow seeds. And so that's sort of their their life cycle. Is they regenerate really easily because they do also produce all those seeds. So Actually, if it were me— Yeah, if you could, though— Talk about what a red bud is so people know. It's that tree that blooms early in the season. You can see it on the turnpike, on the sides of the turnpike. It has these lovely pink flowers that it's in the pea and bean families. And the flowers are really close onto the stems or onto the branches of the tree. Uh, And the flowers are actually edible. And they have like a really interesting sort of like a, they taste like a little bit of a spring pea, like you would pick out of the vegetable garden. Hmm. Um, I never knew that. Yeah, I would, if it were me and I had that, dead bud red bud i would just let it go until there was pretty much no branches left and then i would get rid of it what do you think about dogwood i think dogwood is a really good choice uh our native dogwood cornus florida is prone to anthracnose which is a fungal disease if you want one that isn't you might want to go with one of the hybrids uh there's some hybrids between our native dogwood and cornus kusa which is a japanese dogwood and these hybrids are bred with that disease resistance in there. So I think there's like a whole series of them that are stellar. They're called the stellar dogwoods. Um, There's a one called wolf eyes. It's like a variegated dogwood. So those also have the built-in disease resistance, which is 
an extra bonus for them. So basically it, the dog would should be a hybrid of some sort. I would recommend it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Cornus Florida. I mean, it's a beautiful tree and it's native and I always recommend planting native when you can. But this is an example where if you go with one of those hybrids that has a disease resistance, you're not going to be having to spray or treat the tree at all. And I'm so, telling you, that wolf yeah. eyes and the other ones like it, those variegated ones are so cool looking. Yeah, they are really neat. I killed a couple well, of those too, though. <laughs> well, well, let me address the flowering crab just for a minute. I uh-huh. have one. It, it is a spectacular tree. I love it except for the, all the crab apples that come in the fall. Yeah. But... Yeah. It is a beautiful tree. Is it susceptible to diseases? Yeah, so some of them are. So again, here we go, where variety selection makes all the difference in the world. So some of, many, most of the old school crab apple trees would get um, scab, apple scab, which makes the leaves turn yellow and they all fall off really early. And the tree looks terrible all summer long, even though it blooms beautifully. I have one of those right outside my kitchen window. Yeah. It was there when I moved in. Actually, a pine tree fell on it and I'm trying to get it to come back so. <laughs> yeah but <laughs> I, would, I love the blooms yeah and, and it's beautiful but the thing is some of these newer varieties and new meaning like the last 20 or 30 years are scab resistant so when you choose one i'd make sure that you do your research and pick one that's scab resistant and, and there have, are tons of varieties they have out some there. doubles out there you know me and my doubles i like the coral burst one which is like that corally pink that's there one are of my some favorites. very cool crab apples out there Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Thanks Alex. All right. Congratulations, Robert Gibsoni, winner of that gift certificate from Janoski's. Let's take another call before the next break. Here's Kathy in Delmont. Hey, Kathy. Hi, guys. Hi, Doug and Jess and Rob. So, my question is regard is regarding a row of arborvitae that I planted twelve feet west of my house, and I planted these. 20 years ago and when i planted them they began at approximately three feet tall and now they are 40 feet tall and i'm concerned about them being blown over in all these storms we get i have a a a hundred yard exposure i i'm there's nothing around me uh in the east north and south Mm -hmm. okay and Mm -hmm. these trees are planted north to south on the west side of my house okay and they're 20 feet away from my house and there's about 20 tree about 20 arborvitaes and they're spaced four feet apart yeah so So they are basically a giant hedge right now they're a giant wall of arborvitae and when you get wet winds where you live they're coming in westerly so that's your main concern they're they're blowing yes ma'am yeah yes i'm afraid and i don't have any money to put into this i have five hundred dollars probably that i spend every summer with house projects i do a little bit every year Mm -hmm. but i don't know what to do and i'm wondering if there's some kind of fertilizer i can beef up the roots I can't afford to have a tree company come out. Well, here's the thing. The good news is that those arborvitae were planted when they were itty-bitty. And what that tells me is that if they're that tall after being planted when they're, you know, two, three feet tall, they have a very established, deep, spreading root system. And that is exactly what you want. If you had planted them and they were already 10, 12 feet, that might be an issue. But you have a good root system on those trees that they're that big. Um I would I would 
personally for me, like I wouldn't worry too much about them unless you start to see them leaning or you start to see some dieback on them. Um, you know, my grandmother had a similar situation at her house where her whole backyard was sort of surrounded by these arbovita that were like 40 feet tall and they were huge and they were beautiful and they're still standing and she planted you know she's long gone and planted them when she was a new bride so they can they're very Mm. long lived and i know that feeling when you do live near trees and you have one of those crazy 60 mile an hour windstorm it doesn't feel very good but in my situation i've been very lucky in that the trees have become established and I agree with you. I think she'll be fine. It's it's hard not to worry about it. It though. is. And our, like the thing about arbovitis, too, is that there's very few diseases that are going to get them that you won't see coming. So if you're if you're seeing branch dieback, if you're seeing, um, you know, the, the tree with and there's not even really many diseases or pests that are going to get arbovita. And that's one of the reasons so many people plant them. So. I, I personally think you should set your mind at ease a little bit about them unless you start mm-hmm. to see leaning. Um, you could have the folks from Davy Tree come out and assess that. They do come out for free and do an evaluation and take a look, and they can tell you whether or not the trees are healthy uh, or if there's rot in them, they can let you know that. So that, that might be worth a call to them just for your own peace of mind as well. Okay, thank you. And You're I welcome. have a follow-up question. Okay. So just for, just for more information. They're starting to kind of, um, I don't know what you would call it, like spread at the bottom. So like the bottom branches are starting to fall outward. Okay. Like horizontally. They're spreading. Like sure. they're, they're, they're so big. And then in the, when I get snow, it happens also. And I usually go out there and shake off the snow as high as I can reach up. Mm-hmm. And my second follow-up would be, does topping them help? I would definitely not recommend never, topping never, them. Never, never top yeah. the tree. You're, okay. you're going to yeah. change everything, and you're going to risk a lot by doing that, too. And you're opening up a wound, which can be a route for disease entrance and pest issues. So I would definitely not recommend that. On the bottom, you can knock off the snow if you want, but the truth is most of those plants will sort of rebound when the snow melts. It might take them till spring to do that, um, but you know, certainly in heavy snow, it wouldn't hurt to do it as long as you're not breaking the branches. You just have to be real careful of that. Coming back in just a moment. All right, Joe in Greensburg, up for Doug and Jess here in the home stretch of the Organic Gardeners. How are you, Joe? Fine. How are you? We're doing great. What's on your mind? Okay, I have uh, a Christmas cactus. It's probably 15, 20 years old. And uh, my wife and I disagree on watering it. Now, do, should I water it just like all houseplants or less frequently? Uh-huh, well, this well, is a do- great question. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're right. No, nah, well, I, yeah, just, he didn't say who was who. No, nah, you're right. Whatever, <laughs> whatever way you want to do it, you're right. But let's do it. Let's tell him the right way All to right. do it. Well, here's the deal: like Christmas cactus doesn't deserve the name cactus because it's actually native region is in South America in a tropical, humid rainforest. This is where this plant grows. It's an epiphyte, which means it roots itself and grows in trees. It doesn't actually even grow in the ground. It grows up in trees, like much like an orchid does. Um, uh-huh. And and so Christmas cactus are from humid, warm, tropical climates. And so we need to water them as such. So you would, in your case, want to water it, as you described it, like a regular house plant. You oh, I was wrong. My wife was correct. Oh, to... go wife. 
<laughs> okay. Oh, Joe. I thank you. I thank you very much. You're welcome. We we settled a score on yeah, that one, we Doug. Did. Yeah. We did. This is a this is a thing about Christmas cactus. We think automatically because it has the cactus name in there that it's you know, should be watered sparingly well, Joe, and that's not the case. Joe, I keep mine on the dry side, so Well, I'm not saying you want it to be like waterlogged all the time, but well, not like a cactus. Not right. like a cactus. Exactly. You need to water it, you know, every seven to ten days on a regular schedule like you would with the rest of your house plants. Well, one thing we could think about doing this time of the year if you want to be out in the garden is a little bit of pruning. Indeed. You know, things I was actually walking through the woods the other day and I've been working on these actually kind of wild flowering crabs. And they've just gotten all wispy, mm. you know. I, I really didn't pay much attention to them, and I've, I've started to see them now. And so I pruned one pretty heavily last year, and uh, it looks so much better. And I, there's two more out there, so I'm going to get after them. And mm-hmm. you got to take your time, though. You got to you, you can't take too much off, you know. Only only a third at the most, and just again, real careful. Take a couple. Of, things off and then step back and take a look at it see what needs to go crossing branches branches growing inside Mm -hmm. you know where they shouldn't be and you get the hang of it and again we're never topping we're never removing the leader branch of any tree or branches of any tree because that is a really poor pruning practice uh and so when we're doing our deciduous trees and shrubs this time of year keep that in mind you never want to remove that growing point Anything new for you this year? Are you thinking about anything gardening-wise, or have you just been taking it easy and waiting till the season Well, breaks? you know, it's exciting when you see those catalogs coming, and I was looking through some some of them and looking through my old photographs, and I know what I'm eating more of vegetable-wise, so I'm excited. I'm going to do some purple Brussels sprouts this year, which I can't wait to grow the rub- rub- rubicon or something like yeah, that that's it's right. called. Uh, I want to try those this year. I want to do sweet potatoes. In containers. I have not done sweet potatoes in maybe three or four years, and I've done them in a big pot on the patio, and I want to try them in some of those fabric planter bags. Look at the Sand Hill Preservation website catalog. Okay. They, they've they got like 200 different varieties. and Because we need a short right, season variety Right, you're always talking here. about getting one yeah. of those ones that's ready in like 90 days yeah. or something. Yep. And uh, it's, it's a pretty cool catalog with some really off the beaten path not only sweet potatoes but mm-hmm. also tomatoes they they have some if you really want to go off the grid <laughs> and find something nobody else is growing which which i i i like doing but i'm 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 coming around to kind of growing the same stuff again over and over again especially when it comes to tomatoes yeah i go through phases like that right new things and then your old standbys Remember, the organic gardeners always aim to create a better place to garden. And a safer place to live. All right, guys. Have a good holiday. Thank you. Thanks. Happy holidays, everyone. All right. Sounds good. Listen, stay tuned. News at 8 with Melinda Roeder. And then coming up, it's Joe and Frank Dentisi, holiday recipes, traditions, and more on the Coons Cooking Hour on KDKA Radio. Good morning. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.